Good morning, everybody. Who's missing that hour about now? I won't blame you if you fall asleep this morning, but God is watching. God is watching. We're continuing our series this morning, The Birth of Christ to the Birth of the Church, and we've spent most of our time in Matthew's Gospel. But this morning, we're going to take a jump into John's Gospel. And for the next three weeks, we're going to explore three encounters that Jesus has with three individuals. And the first individual that we're going to explore this morning is Jesus' encounter with good old Nicodemus. We've heard of Nicodemus, some of us, right? Before we explore this story, let's pray together. Gracious and loving Lord, we are reminded of the wind of your Spirit as we gather in this place this morning. Lord, we felt it on our faces. We felt it as we tried to close the car door. (laughs) We felt it as we put on our coats. Your Spirit is blowing among us this morning, in us and through us, seeking to restore us and make us new. Lord, we trust and rest in your spirit as we open your word this morning. Speak to us, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At the point where we enter John's gospel, 
Jesus is the talk of the town. They're chatting about him in coffee shops. He'd be on the front page of the Jerusalem Journal if there was one. (laughs) Jesus is the talk of the town. Why? Because in the passage just before the one that we have read, Jesus shows up in Jerusalem while everybody's getting ready for the Passover. He shows up to the temple courts and he is appalled at what he sees. The temple courts, the place designed for worship, has been turned into a farmer's market. People are selling cattle and sheep, and there's a a currency exchange table. Might have been a Pinterester's delight. Good place for selling homemade candles and essential oils, I imagine. (laughs) But Jesus is appalled. The temple courts has been turned into a marketplace. And so Jesus, in a blaze of righteous fury, with zeal for his God, turns the place upside down. He gets a whip. And he tears through the place in a a prophetic demonstration, flipping over tables. Not quite the image of a cute Jesus with a lamb on his shoulder, say. (laughs) Jesus is the talk of the town. Who is this man who acts with such authority? Who is this man who speaks such wisdom? Who is he who performs these prophetic and miraculous signs? Who is this Jesus? Everybody's wondering who he is. And among the curious many is Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the highly respected Jewish Pharisee, a member of the ruling council. Nicodemus, he seems fixated on Jesus, curious about this enigmatic Galilean. Nicodemus has likely heard about Jesus' whip-wielding, or perhaps he saw the event take place itself. And Nicodemus is curious about Jesus, and so he comes, we're told, in the cover of night to talk with Jesus and get some answers to his questions. And why Nicodemus comes at night is worth pondering for a moment. Maybe Nicodemus has had a long day at the office, and he couldn't get to Jesus till the evening. He's an important guy, after all. Maybe that's one reason. Maybe Nicodemus wanted to have a good late-night theological conversation, as some rabbis were known to do. Maybe that's the reason why he comes at night. But most likely, and most scholars agree on this, that Nicodemus came because he didn't want to be seen with Jesus in the light of day. Nicodemus had an honorable and prestigious reputation to keep intact after all. Being seen with the person who just upended the temple courts would be bad for business. It'd be bad press. Some might confuse Nicodemus as a collaborator, and he might find himself on trial pretty soon. Nicodemus is curious enough to talk with Jesus, but he's he's not willing to trust or believe in Jesus. He's not willing to give up the day job for Jesus just yet. And so he comes at night to keep his chat with Jesus between them and the moon. But on a deeper level, there might be something more to this night visit. There's a thought with John's gospel that those who are active at night in this book are those who are spiritually in the dark to who Jesus is. The dark of night sort of represents their relationship to the truth about Jesus. The dark is a literary tool, a, a device that John uses to describe those who are distant from Jesus. Judas, for example, 
After Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and they've broken bread together in John 13, we're told that Judas goes out into the night to betray Jesus. Those who skulk around in the night in John's gospel are those in the dark who have yet to step into the truth, the light of who Jesus is. In fact, those who skulk around at night stand in stark contrast to those who Jesus encounters in the middle of the day. Jesus encounters the woman at the well in John 4 in the middle of the day, and she immediately responds with faith and belief. Nathaniel, at the start of John's gospel, encounters Jesus in the middle of the day, and he responds with faith and belief. But those who come at night, those who skulk around at night in John's gospel, are those who are distant from him. They've yet to step into the light. The night is a sort of literary tool that John uses to describe those who are spiritually distant from Jesus. Nicodemus, he comes at night. He comes in the dark. And if you think about it, in the dark is a good way to describe Nicodemus. Not only does he come in the literal darkness, but as this dialogue unfolds, we discover that Nicodemus' mind and his heart are also in the dark to who Jesus is and the truth that he teaches. Repeatedly, Nicodemus misunderstands Jesus. Jesus speaks of heavenly realities and, and deep spiritual truths, yet Nicodemus can't understand it. Jesus talks about being born again and the untamed movement of the Holy Spirit like a wind. And Nicodemus seems inept to understand Jesus. For all his learning, he can't seem to penetrate the deeper truths that Jesus is teaching him. Born again. How can someone who is old be born again? How can a man enter his mother's womb for a second time? What are you talking about, Jesus? A windy spirit? How can this be? Nicodemus is clueless to what Jesus is saying. You're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things, says Jesus. Nicodemus's mind seems covered with a darkness that hinders his ability to see and understand Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. He's in a dark room looking for a light switch. Nicodemus's mind is in the dark, and so is his heart. After Nicodemus and Jesus' exchange, the gospel writer John takes over and he begins to explain for his readers what their conversation was all about. And John could not be any clearer. This is the verdict. This is how it is. The light has come into the world, but the people love darkness instead of the light. The people of this world have a heart orientation, a love toward the darkness. And if Jesus in this story represents the light, then Nicodemus represents the one in the dark whose heart loves the darkness. The words of Isaiah come to mind. The earth is covered in a darkness. A thick darkness covers over all the people. Nicodemus has that darkness problem, a shadowiness that covers his head and his heart, hindering his ability to see and to enter the kingdom of God. And of course, this is not just a Nicodemus problem. The world needs saving because the world has a darkness problem. 
We also call this darkness problem a sin problem, an evil problem, a death problem, a darkness that has infused and infected and poisoned and tainted, covered our heads and our hearts, hindering our ability to see and to access and to enter the kingdom of God. The shadowy darkness that covers over Nicodemus covers over us all. Everybody's worried these days, and rightly so, about the coronavirus. My trip to Ireland got cancelled last week, next week. I'm still a little bit bitter about that. We'll get there. But everybody's worried about the coronavirus, and rightly so. But we should also be concerned about the darkness virus that has plagued the human head and heart since the fall of Eden. <laughs> There's a darkness on the loose. A, a sinful sickness at large. There's a deathly arrhythmia that seeks to rob us of life with God. Sin and darkness has infected and poisoned humanity, putting us on a one-way road to death. We have a darkened, sinful condition. We need a vaccine, an antidote, a cure. In fact, in verse 14, Jesus alludes to our need for a cure with this fascinating story. In verse 14, Jesus references Numbers 21. The Israelites were in the wilderness, and a plague of venomous snakes came and began to attack them and bite them. And Jesus references this story. The, the, the Israelites are out in the wilderness with Moses, and a plague of snakes come and bite them and attack them. And the people of Israel are dying because of the poison. And they're suffering because of the poison. And they go to Moses. They say, Moses, do something about this. Ask God to stop this. And God sends an antidote. God tells Moses to build a, a bronze snake and to hoist it up in the air. And any one of the Israelites who looked at that snake would be cured of their poison. And in our text, Jesus compares himself to the one who was lifted up at his crucifixion as the cure for the poison that has infected humankind. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus alludes to the fact that all humankind has been poisoned. Sin and evil and darkness and death has infiltrated the human heart. And Jesus must be raised to save humanity from the deathly toxin that sees, seeks to suffer, that we, that we suffer and that we die from. This is the verdict, says John. Light has come into the world, but the people loved darkness instead. The people have a darkness problem, a sin problem. We have a poison that we need, an antidote, a deliverance from. And perhaps we're all thinking this sounds a little bit harsh. <laughs> really? Are people that bad? Darkness, poison, infected, sinful. This all sounds a bit bleak. People aren't really that bad, are we? I lost my wallet once. Somebody gave it back to me with all my money and cards intact. People aren't that bad, are they? I watched a documentary about some selfless people in war-torn Syria who held down an abandoned hospital caring for people. Those people are heroes and heroines. People aren't that bad, are they? Humanity's not that bad, are we? Well, in the words of Charles Spurgeon, we're worse than bad. <laughs> if a man thinks ill of you, says Spurgeon, don't be angry with him, because you are worse than he thinks you are. <laughs> 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 
Were you hoping to be encouraged at church this morning? <laughs> There's a passage for the fridge. <laughs> I read an article this past week <clears throat> about an, a group of ex-Facebook employees who are suing the company for trauma and mental and emotional uh, sufferings that they endured. The group of employees served as content moderators for Facebook, meaning that they were the people who determined whether a picture or a video was appropriate to make it up on a Facebook page. When you upload a video, it was these guys who would say whether it's appropriate or not. They were content moderators. And this group of Facebook moderators described some of the horrid things that they encountered, videos from all over the world, videos and images that they encountered. And the horrendousness ranged from people wearing anti-Semitic Halloween costumes or, or revengeful seeking partners posting unpermitted pictures of the other to extreme horrors that the word poison and darkness fall short of their understatements. Like videos of sexual child abuse, violent assaults, human slave markets all around the world, <coughs> mass murder, no joke. We have a sin problem, an evil problem, a darkness problem. And of course, we don't need Charles Spurgeon. <laughs> or Facebook moderators to tell us that we have a draw towards the darkness. All we have to do is look within our own desires and impulses and longings and see the places where they take us. Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus in the dark. And in a sense, Nicodemus represents all of us with that darkened condition, inhibiting our ability to see and to enter the kingdom. But Jesus knows the hearts of every person. John tells us that Jesus knows what's in the hearts of humankind. He knows what we need. And Jesus tells Nicodemus what he needs. Jesus tells Nicodemus what is required to lift the darkness, to throw off the blinders, to break out of sin's silo. Very truly, I tell you, Nick, no one can see the kingdom unless they are born again. It's not more learning that's going to do it for you, Nick. It's not going down to the temple and washing yourself on the outside, Nick. It's not all that learning. It's not your connection with Abraham that's going to save you, Nick. It's not your job as Israel's ruler. To see and to enter the kingdom of God involves a radical transformative work of the Holy Spirit in your head and your heart to make you holy new, like a baby. You must be born again. When I was growing up, I thought to be born again meant going up for an altar call at the end of a youth event where, you know, you pray a prayer and you get born again. Every week I go around and say, hey, I was born again again last week. I must have been born again about 20 times. Must have been the last one that stuck. I don't know. But Jesus, who reveals the wisdom of heaven, teaches Nicodemus what it is to be born again. To be born again is to be born by water and spirit. The flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. 
To be born again is a gracious work of the Spirit, like that wind outside. It's a gracious work of the Spirit that floods through us like water, making us wholly new, whereby the hindering darkness of our hearts is removed. By being reborn, we have new vision to see the kingdom, new capacities to know God and to live for Him. Ezekiel 36 spoke of the Spirit's work this way, the promised Spirit's work, and the message version captures it beautifully. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and to live by my commands. To be born again is a transformative work of God within our hearts and our minds that enables us to see beyond the dark shadows to the light of Christ. To be born again is a work from above. In fact, the word again in Greek is the word anothen, and it actually also means above. To be born again is to be born from above, and it's a gracious act, a gift by our gracious God. Perhaps Nicodemus, on his walk home from talking with Jesus, felt the wind rustle past his ear, and perhaps the Spirit began to blow into his life. Perhaps Nicodemus, when he saw the Jesus lifted up on the cross, he remembered those words, that reference to Moses. Perhaps Nicodemus felt the, the poison within his own heart, cured. Perhaps Nicodemus, when he showed up after Jesus' crucifixion to collect the body and to tend to Jesus' body, perhaps Nicodemus found himself sobbing and weeping like a baby. <laughs> perhaps the Spirit made Nicodemus new, born again from above. For God so loved the world, says John, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus comes to save Nicodemuses. Nicodemuses like you and Nicodemuses like me. Look and believe on the one who is lifted up in death, and we may find life. This is the verdict, says John. The people loved darkness. But thanks be to God, our Heavenly Father sent His Son Jesus to save us, to be lifted up in death to cure the poison. Thanks be to God that Jesus sent His Holy Spirit that blows like an untamed wind in ways we cannot see, in ways we cannot comprehend, in places we never think it would be. The Spirit blows into our lives to invade us, to forgive us, to heal us, to wash us anew, to make us born from above. You know, no matter how hard you try, you can never give birth to yourself. <laughs> I think that statement is 100% true. <laughs> no matter how hard you try, you cannot give birth to yourself. Implicit in the very idea of being born again is the idea that God is the one who creates such a possibility. It is God who creates rebirth. God, one from outside of us. 
makes us reborn. God sends his son. God sends his spirit. God does not condemn. God did, God does, and God will do. God, even in our darkened condition, endeavors to redeem us. He bursts into our life, into the darkness, with the light of life. God does. God makes us reborn. Thanks be to God. Perhaps you find yourself in the shadows of darkness today. Perhaps you feel that lingering draw. But what comfort and joy and grace to know that God seeks us. God moves toward us in love, not in condemnation. Amen. Fred Craddock, an esteemed preacher, tells a story, a powerful story of his father who spent the majority of his life running from a God who longed for him to be born again. Craddock's father had some animosity toward the church, to put it lightly. When pastor used to come to my mother, from my mother's church to call on our dad, recalls Craddock, my father would say, you don't care about me. I know what you churches are at. You just want another pledge, another name, right? Another name, another pledge. Is not the whole point of church. I know your game. His dad didn't like church very much. I guess I heard him say that a thousand times, said Craddock. But one time he didn't say it. Fred's father was in the veterans hospital, down to 74 pounds, just had his throat removed. And Fred went to see his dad. And in every window were potted plants and flowers. Everywhere there was a place to set them. There was by his head a stack of cards about 20 inches deep. And Fred recalls reading some of those cards by his bed. And every one of them, every blossom, every plotted pant was from a group, a Sunday school group, a, a women's group, a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study at his church. The very people that Fred's dad had ridiculed were sending him messages of encouragement and hope. And Fred recalls that he, his, his father saw him reading one of the cards. And he couldn't speak, so he took a Kleenex box. And he wrote the, some words from Shakespeare's Hamlet on it, if that's your kind of thing. <laughs> he wrote, in, the, in this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. And Fred Craddock looked at his dad and he said, what's your story, dad? And his dad looked around the room, and he looked at his son, and he wrote, I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. And Fred, reflecting upon that moment, said, It's not until you know that God is seeking you in love, not in condemnation. It's not until that moment that the gospel becomes good news. It's not until that moment do we begin to be reborn. <laughs> Very truly, I tell you, no one can see or enter the kingdom unless you are born again. But thanks be to God, in love, not in condemnation, in love, our Heavenly Father sends His Son and His Spirit to make us so. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me?
Gracious Lord, we thank you for your Spirit. We thank you for your Son. We thank you for all the the works of your grace that seek to make us new. Lord, we thank you even today as we sit in this place. Your Spirit is working among us. Your Word speaking to us. The, The promised assurance of forgiveness in Christ claimed on our lives. Lord, we lay our lives before you. We seek to to grow more and more and to be reborn more and more, to be made more new. Lord, help us to put off the old self and put on the new self that is being renewed in the image of our Creator, as Paul said. Lord, we thank you for your Spirit that is our cleansing, our help, and our hope. We give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.